the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service Livestock Podcast. This podcast is designed to give producers up-to-date information on all things relating to livestock. It's been funded jointly through the Farm Advisory Service Animal Welfare Programme and also the Veterinary Advisory Service. So a big thanks to Scottish Government for their support. So Colin, you're in Dumfries this morning. How are things going today? Yes, going very well and the sun is shining today um, and it's quite, quite a warm day actually. So yeah, it's lovely. Excellent, excellent. So now into June, we've had a challenging spring. We've been seem feels like we've been discussing a difficult spring for months, um, but we're into into summer. Things are looking a lot better. Um, where are we with regards to animal health issues and vet lab issues? What are you seeing at the moment? Yeah, well, I was I was going to pick up on a few things. Um, uh, as always, probably relating to the weather. In that, I think we've gone straight from winter to summer, uh, and you know we're now experiencing some some better weather and it, it just needs to focus one of the issues with uh dairy cattle in general and particularly house dairy cattle is is heat stress um which can have some quite significant sort of negative health impacts um uh both in terms of feed intake in terms of diet in terms of lameness in terms of fertility and in terms of mastitis and we'll always see in the summer months for individual herds and also for for national herd actually that that cell counts tend to rise in summer and probably clinical mastitis rate will increase in the summer and in the vet labs we'll get more uh, milk samples through for um, mastitis investigation as well so that's one of the challenges we're we're up against going forward for the next few months yeah it's I suppose as farmers, we're always moaning about weather and we're always, uh, the weather's always at the forefront of our minds, but it certainly does have have big issues. And, and certainly, you know, we're, we're speaking to Hugh at Crichton later on and, you know, that the housed dairy setup is becoming the norm in Scotland and, and certainly uh, we're probably, we're more, we're more used to cold and wet weather, but that heat stress and, and challenge in the summer is, is a significant stress on those systems isn't it? it is yeah and and there's two two bits to it one is just the genuine temperature and, and i suppose in Scotland we don't experience really high temperatures like we do in other dairying areas of the world but uh, once the temperature gets up into the the higher 70s then that is potentially an issue for cows um, and also the humidity has a big bearing on it as well. So as, as humidity rises um, and if we get some really sort of close days, then actually lower temperatures, uh, cattle can start to exhibit issues with heat stress, you know, more, more moderate heat stress, um, which which can be a can be a real challenge. So uh, I think the things that, that farmers need to, to look out for is well, firstly, you know, temperature and humidity, and, and it's actually relatively easy to, to directly measure that in sheds uh, to try and give a feel for what's going on. Um, and you know, the there tends to be a bit of a lag between temperature rising and the effects that, that might have on feed intake. Um, so there'll be a few hours of a lag between temperatures rising and, and feed intake dropping. Um, 
and actually there may be a lag in the production effects as well in that you know it might be you know the following day or following days where production is negatively impacted as a result of a few days of really really hot weather so we will see these sort of peaks and troughs and ups and downs in cow performance depending on on the weather on particular days uh, but not only temperature but relative humidity are, are things that farmers need to be aware of on any particular day at this time of year yeah and is the cow so you're high yielding cow in a shed if it's a well-designed well-ventilated shed is she more exposed to heat heat stress than a spring calver at grass it manifest it, it, it can be equally affected so if you take those two different scenarios first you take the, the spring carver at grass then uh you know it depends on on where they are uh, um and what the field they're in what paddock they're in what access to shelter they've got um so they can be particularly heat stressed in the second half of the day uh depending on what you know availability of shade they've got etc cetera, etc cetera. and um we also see challenges with with some of these cows you know where they can be very very sort of tightly packed under trees and in areas where the shade we're just going to seek those out in the, the second half of the day so that might increase the environmental contamination in those areas it might it will increase the amount of, of fecal soiling in those areas and, and potentially increase the, the mastitis risk and the fly risk in those areas so they have their own sets of challenges uh, although clearly are, are you know open to the elements and there might be more of a breeze flowing or whatever um, but they will experience heat stress potentially in an outdoor situation. Um, in a house situation, then again, things will vary and it will depend on the quality of the ventilation within the shed uh, in terms of you know how affected they are by this. Um, it'll depend on the provision of fans and additional sort of um, artificial ventilation as well as whether that can help them but, but certainly potentially it is an issue in a housed environment uh, and one of the challenges that we'll see and it, it's a simple fact that, that the cows they generate a lot of heat themselves you know the rumen is a is, a, is an oven really it's working away generating a huge amount of heat the cows that are particularly affected will be the high yielders will be the cows that are having the greatest food intake um, the greatest amount of rumen activity and they have a lot of heat to, to dissipate uh, and and may struggle to do that so it's not just the, the heat they acquire from from the outside it's, it's getting rid of, of the heat that they generate themselves which will be a challenge it keeps them warm in the winter but it, it can cause some problems in the summer um, so things that can help them you know if we have a really hot night that is where they really struggle if it's a cooler night and a warmer day then they can cope a little bit better um they'll stand up more to help dissipate heat so they'll spend longer time standing rather than lying in hot weather uh, and we know that that can impact on foot health particularly in the second half of the summer and into the autumn uh, with with more issues with with sole bruising and, and possibly claw horn lesions in general so getting that Getting that balance in terms of, of, you know, standing and lying is really critical, making sure that where they are lying, they're lying very comfortably uh, and they will potentially spend more time standing in a period of, yeah. of hot weather, which is a challenge. 
What about the other group of animals on the on the farm? The you know the the highest priority group, the calf. We all always talk in the winter about how a calf can't regulate its own body temperature. Are they more exposed to heat stress, or are they fairly resilient when it comes to heat? Well, again, it depends on what you're exposing them to, and uh, certainly a lot of our focus has been on the the cold stress in the winter and ensuring that calves are warm enough um, and ensuring overall that ventilation is adequate, but they're not losing and using up too much energy to keep warm. But any animal, whether it's a calf or a cow, they have a thermoneutral zone. And if you go below that, they are stressed because they're too cold. If you go above that, they're stressed because they're too warm. So, so there will be issues, there will be challenges for calves. And there, there has been some, you know, some discussions this year uh, about you know, uh, trying to consider heat stressing calves, how best to manage it, how best to manage their provision of shade, to think where their accommodation is, if they're in individual hutches, you know, where that is in relation to excessive sunlight. Um, uh, if they're in group pens, as they should be, then, you know, how best you manage access not only to good ventilation, but shade. So, yeah, there, there will be challenges for calves as well, particularly on, on hot days. And those challenges will get greater when they're, the rumen starts to work a bit more and they, they start to generate that that rumen heat that, that will be generated as well. So as they get close to weaning and after weaning, then the issues will increase perhaps compared to when they're just a baby calf and a week or two old and just really digesting milk at that stage. Yeah, there will be challenges for calves as well um, uh, to, to bear in mind. Yeah, it's always good though when it's when weather's like this. You know, we've got issues, we've got uh, heat stress issues and mastitis issues and stuff. But it's always good to worry about these issues over a beer in the garden rather than a uh, cuddle in the aga like we were doing in the, in the spring. Absol- so absolutely, yeah. There, there are positives in the good weather. Oh as well. yes, and, and, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I was just um, just going to say we're looking like there must, there's a lot of very good first cut silage made out there, and now you're starting into second cuts. Um, quality and quantity is looking pretty good certainly in the southwest of scotland things are are pretty positive so there's, there's much to be positive about to some some Absolutely. things to be yeah. to be wary about i suppose yeah Th- things to think about with with managing heat stress is is on the feeding in a way is uh they're more likely to want to feed at night because it's cooler um uh, and therefore if you're if you're feeding out cattle or you're pushing up feed for cattle then you know think about when to feed the main feed of the day, uh, when to push up the main feeds of the day. Uh, do you feed high yielders twice and split the feed so that they get a fresh top of the feed in the evening? That can help. Also, access to feed really helps. In that You might find that, that the busier times of feeding are at night. Uh, and Just make sure that there's good access to feed for all cattle to feed well at that time, particularly the, the subordinate cow that might be a little bit timid uh, or heifer that might be a little bit timid. Uh, and and also yeah to think about you know the effects of, of extra ventilation so making sure that the, the sides of sheds are opened um, do you need extra fan ventilation in there um, and the quality and hygiene of the bedding because we know that the spiders risk does go up potentially in house cows in the summer so ensuring that the hygiene of the cubicle bed and particularly the back third of the cubicle bed is exemplary in the summer in particular because bacterial multiplication in the bed will be more likely uh, and you know the environmental challenges will be will be greater 
Yeah, and I suppose just to add to that, the the other very basic thing to keep in mind is water as well that Absolutely. we need. Yeah. Uh, never more so than in the hot day is the a good supplier, consistent supply of clean water. Yeah. Um, and and if there's any question with regard to that, that's that's the first investment that needs made is to to rectify that to remedy it. Yep. Can't can't agree more. It's it's essential that that they've got free access to water that rapidly refills and there's no congestion or queuing around water uh, and cows can readily drink what they need um, because the, yeah, the, the water intake can be huge vital in dairy cows for the summer. Yeah. And there's also, I mean, there's the welfare end, there's, there's also the, the production end, you know, what we're trying to sell is mostly water and it needs to go in the system somewhere yeah, or, or there's only one way into the system for it. So Absolutely. Um, yeah, not not rocket science, but certainly something to keep in mind. So, um, we're also joined today by Hugh McClymont, who's the manager of SRUC Dairy Farms in Southwest Scotland. Um, so, good morning to you, Hugh. Ah, good morning, Robert. Uh, pleasure to can be asked to come on board here, and, and morning to Malcolm there, and any other buddy who's listening in in this podcast. Yes, so uh, delighted to be asked to come along. Certainly. Excellent. So, how are things in the southwest? How how are things looking at, at Crichton and Barony at the moment? Uh, are you talking on a personal level, uh, Robert, or are you talking on a farming level? I'm assuming it's I'm assuming it's the we better go, on a, go on a farming level. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, on on a farming front, yes, here on the uh, did I say there's still the, the the early part of June? I would class this as things are looking really well. We've had a very challenging spring, as most farmers, I think, throughout Scotland uh, uh, have endured. Uh, March, if I, if I went back to uh, what I was thinking earlier about this, March, the farm looked tremendous. All, all of the farms, bo- both farms I in, I'm referring now to Barony, Barony Farm uh, at Park Gate, which is 10 miles north of Dumfries, and also Crichton Royal, where I, where I am uh, predominantly based, but I'm responsible for both of these units. But I've been uh, a long number of years at Crichton. I'll, if I reach October, I've been 42 years at Crichton, wearing many hats, and for the last two and a bit years now, responsible for Barony. But uh, I should say all farms look well in, 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 in March, we were well into lambing. Grass was there uh, at, at Barony because we do lamb just over 500 ewes there starting in February and uh, we just finished there at the, at the end of March. But uh, Crichton, uh, very much uh, predominantly dairy. We just some of those sheep being wintered, some hogs were, were, were wintered here. But grass, had uh, fertiliser had been applied timelessly uh, early March. We'd this year put on a protected urea I convinced myself that that had done an excellent job towards the end of March. The farm looked very, both farms had the same fertilizer regime, but the farm looked very fertile, very green. And I thought, gosh, stand back and say, everything's looking well. And then April came in with a bang. And then everything just seemed to either stand still or in some places, I think, probably went into reverse. And I think that's what everybody has, has found and experienced think, throughout the length and breadth of Scotland, uh, and, and we've felt, aye, we've played catch-up. Would it ever happen? Grass went from being lush green to tinges of blue, and then there was tinges of yellow coming in, leaves burnt, scorched with frost and stuff like that. It allowed a lot of that dry, cold weather, allowed a lot of field work to get progressed, but not a lot of growth at all. And then we hit early May, and wow, 
the just ever just the light switch was turned on. But we got challenging weather, but grass just seemed to jump out of the ground, and so did other crops too. And uh, which has led to, I dare I say it, some challenging weather conditions for making first cut silages. I'm not sure if I'm lucky. I'm not sure it's it's not all down to management. There's a lot of luck in this, but uh, we were missing showers when we were doing first cut. We started first cut silage at Acrehead Unit uh, on the 9th. Uh, sorry, take, take that back. It was the 13th, actually. 13th and, and, and cutting the 13th lift on the 14th of, of May. And that was actually nine days, that's what my nine, nine days later than the two previous years for the same fields. But uh, that really caught me. Yields were higher than I expected. And uh, so we've finished that. Obviously, that basically, that was just over 45 hectares, over 100 acres we cleared in those two days, mowing one day and tedding and, and, and lifting the next day. And then that allowed fertilizer straight on behind it, the, the forager. And three days later, I saw another opportunity, a windy weather for probably about three days. And we lifted the next 160 acres based at Crichton. Uh, and, and again, all around about was getting showers and we stayed very dry. Uh, and, and thankfully, looking at the clamp this morning, it's a pass by our main first cut clamp. There is no leakage of any effluent. So I'm looking now for a positive uh, core analysis. I've asked somebody early doors this morning an email to do a, a core of that clamp now because it's in the pit 30 days now. So waiting on a, see where we're at. It'll not be as, probably as high an ME as I would probably uh, uh, liked, but given the circumstances, we're, we're, we're where we are like. So, so and I, given where we were, Six weeks ago, probably, you know, you would never believe that pit was going to be full of reasonable, you know, reasonable quality stuff. It might not be the, the best stuff you've ever made, but there's a there's a big bulk of of uh, feeding for the winter there, there, for a start. There is. There's a fantastic, Robert. And that, to me, well, bears well now. And the time, and I keep, I've used it more than once in this sort of uh, intro, but uh, time is applications of FERT, uh, only straight in, we would put on, so... Uh, as I said, a, a protected urea would on for first cut uh, in early March, uh, just to, to reduce a bit of the volatilization and, and, and uh, uh, basically from that from that fertilizer. But a straight ammonium nitrate on after first cut, and we chased the forager out of the field with the fert spreader. So that was very timeless, and then on on went slurry. But here we are, 30 days later, and I was in the field this morning. Uh, my feet got wet because there's still a bit of dampness, but that's getting mowed tomorrow, so 30 days down the track. Uh, we're at forecast a, a really hot, sunny weekend, so uh, I'll leave that spread wide in the Swiss over the weekend and lift that on Monday, and I'm I'm almost certain that that'll be fine. I haven't tested it for nitrates, but I know if I get the dry matter there, we'll be fine. Like so that, so there we go. We're we're, we're moving rapidly on to second cut at at, at Crichton. Uh, well, that's actually the Acrehead stuff, but Crichton will come away towards the end of next week. And then Barony Barony silage, we concluded that uh, last week, but that's normal. And to be honest, nine days later, lifting it, or starting at Crichton. We were only three days uh, differential from the previous year at Barony and a fantastic yield. What a response and, and took me totally uh, by surprise. So much so that my allocation of pit space easily filled and then I set aside 45 acres 
uh, uh, of ground for baling. We ended up with 380 bales, high dry matter bales, because I left it uh, long. So they're now uh, longer to dry. And so they've got high dry matter bales, easier stacked, and dare I say it, uh, easier fed to to livestock anywhere in the in the south here enterprises or or possibly maybe help out some of my colleagues and some of the other uh, farms further north because you can transport dry bales easily like so so yeah. on all first cut silage robert to sum up a uh, later maybe not a vintage year for for, for for analysis but i'm desperate to see that but i think barney will not be far away i don't see many major problems the reason it's later harvested it sits higher, slightly colder, and I mentioned woolies. Uh, you have an affinity with woolies too, i.e. sheep, but uh, they they grazed a lot of that silage ground with ewes and lambs, and uh, so needless to say, you can't you you, you can't have it always if you understand what I'm saying. Like so, we've we've had a great response, and I'll come on to livestock in a minute. Like, but uh, grass is delivered so far, but. In, in the middle yeah. of April, I thought, gosh, we're, where are we going this year? And like a lot of other people, if you're not saying, like in the in the farming fraternity. So, Hugh, as well, there's some mixed messages, or, or we're not sure. No one's got a crystal ball, so we don't know where we're going to be in, you know, by the end of the end of the growing season. You know, where are we going to be grass-wise? Are you expecting there'll be no deficit? You'll have a surplus at on on both or all your farms, there'll be a, there'll be excess grass rather than a shortage. I would love to say yes, I'm expecting that, Robert. But uh, like everybody, I wish I had a crystal ball. Uh, who knows? I don't know what's coming. Uh, I've just said to somebody this morning, I'll be getting more slurry onto some of the fields at Barring that I haven't received yet. But uh, we won't be harvesting grass again there because it's traditional three cut system, and uh, putting slurry on even with a dribble bar. If it's a high dry matter slurry, there's a there's a risk now that that may stick to leaf, but I'm gar- I'm, I'm almost certain we'll get rain. But who's I can't tell you that, and I can't guarantee we're going to get yeah. that rainfall, and just to wash that leaf, if you know what I'm saying. I'm not wanting rainfall in the next few days because I'm going to go cutting grass. But the weather plays such a a major role in, 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 in all farming circles, if you know what I'm saying, unless you're very much a totally housed uh, uh, with, with, with pork, and, and that's a different, I'm not going to go in that uh, tangent, but mm-hmm. you know, we rely so heavily on the weather, and, and yes, much as technology can deliver to all our phones what the BBC tells you for the day, for tomorrow, by the hour, but they can't tell you what it's going to be like in a month's time because, again, we don't know what's coming. We may be in a drought situation, so then we'll not be in that excess. But if we get rain when we want it and we get heat when we want it, then everything's looking good. But my my own saying and my own thoughts on this are make hay while the sun shines well, or make conserve forage when you can because you don't know when you cannot, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's where your you know your multi cut system has you know it, it's obviously there's a there's a cost associated with it, but you've got capacity to make a hell of a lot of dry matter or you know conserve a lot, a lot of dry matter over the year, and I think that's a message for even for you know the beef sheep producer that you know there was a a lot of sheep on ground for a lot longer than normal. Um, silage ground shut up later in the year uh, than we would normally expect but I think that you know the multi-cut system um, even if it's it, going from a single cut to, to a double cut system you know that there's capacity there to grow more grass if it's down to management down to um, fertilizer applications as you see and, and 
I think there's a big thing at the moment is let's not panic about it because most people are saying the same thing. First cuts are better than we expected them to be. Yeah. I would say nature, through the passage of time, nature's never let us down. And in the, in the dark the dark days of April, gosh, when are we going to get going? When are things going to start moving? But in all the years I've been on this planet, grass always grows and uh, uh, nature has never failed us. Yeah, it can throw some wobblies now and again at us, but, you know, through through the through records or whatever, it usually balances itself out. But, but uh, we just have to grab the opportunities when you're there and be ready to grab those opportunities. And, and that is probably where management comes into that. You... You've got to have your plans in place and, and, and if, uh, just phoning up your contractor if you're making silage cuts uh, at a couple of hours' notice. Oh, I'm going out with the mower and you expect him to turn up when you're ready. But bear in mind, he's probably got another dozen clients that are doing exactly the same. And if you work with him, I text mine two days ago, what's the chances of lifting grass on Monday? Because I could see a window. So I was giving him heads up and, and basically came back and said, yes, you, that's fine. Thanks for the notice. So... It's, it's things like that, eh, Robert, I think are very, very important because it's, I don't, yeah, we have our own more set, so I can go and cut when and whenever I want, but pointless blinking cutting stuff if you can't do the follow-up jobs, if you know what I'm saying, like, you know, it's all it's all teamwork and a team only works as well as, as everybody in that team playing on the, on the park is. Yeah, given given the time of the year we're at, and now we're going into Euros and Scotland need to play as a team, but I'm not going to go there. Like, but that's because yeah. <laughs> this will probably go out after, certainly after the first games by us, so we might be, <laughs> might be seeing from a different sheet. Um, the I suppose one thing we didn't really do at the start is for those of us that haven't been lucky enough to go to Crichton and Barony and. and once lockdown's over, it's certainly a thing that uh, you know. It's it, they're great places to visit, and so there's something there for everybody, regardless of whether you're a dairy producer or not. So I would encourage anybody to go and visit these farms. But for those people who've not been there, Hugh, what just using some numbers, I suppose. What what are we dealing with? You know, number of cows, number of sheep, uh, that type of thing. What 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 is your enterprise? Okay, uh, I did say to you earlier, Robert, when you asked me to do that, we could be there for a while, but I'll try and keep it brief. <laughs> keep it brief. Uh, I, I, term, I term these farms now as South and West Farms, not Crichton and Barney, although they are two separate locations, two separate uh, holding numbers. Uh, but if I deal with Crichton at the moment, we farm just on 300 hectares, and at the moment we're carrying around about 400 and. Uh, 38 or 440 cows counted there at, at the end of, end, end of May and uh, about 360 or something dairy young stock and that ranges from a calf born today to a, to a, a calving down heifer at 24 months and uh, a range of crops on grown in on, on, on Crichton uh, of grass for, for a bit of grass for grazing cows acre head unit uh, uh, basically, there's cows going out for six hours a day, milking cows, high-yielding yield, milking cows going out for six hours, but back in again for TMR. And uh, at, at, at Crichton, the, the two Lang Hill herds there, and again, for those who are not familiar with the two uh, of this long-running genetic study uh, of approximately uh, 85 cows on either side of the shed on two different feed rations uh, and also two different uh, genetic lines. But they do not access grass. They're housed 24-7, 365 days a year currently, and that's so we can monitor intakes and, and monitor uh, so many other aspects of the, of the herd management there. 
So, so in a, in a nutshell, that's the sort of livestock enterprises at at, uh, at Crichton. But one important factor is we're now calving. Uh, at the end of March, when we did our annual stock count with 680 cows, but all the dry stock now are housed from all those from both farms at Crichton. So we're calving. We've centred all our calving on the one site at Crichton now, and uh, dare I say it, that was to make the job more streamlined. The skill set, the facilities at Crichton for calf rearing are more modern and up to date with uh, detailed recording systems and traditional rearing systems in modern uh, facilities. So that there and lends itself also to to the, the the demands from the research team at, at Crichton who are wanting to do a lot of work with the young stock. So major shift there. Uh, and, and as I said to you earlier, Robert, by bringing all your dry stock to one site, you bring all your problems, if there are problems, and we try and minimise those problems, but any livestock farmer will know you still you, you still get challenges. Uh, so they're all now on the one site. And, uh, can, uh, and I'll come to Barron in a minute, like, but so that kind of gives a nutshell there. But going back to the land at Crichton, growing grass for a bit of grazing, as I said, and a lot of cutting on a multi-cut, four or five cuts we'll, we'll aim for. And then uh, we're growing roughly around 40 hectares, 100 acres of cereals for whole crops, cereal silage, and then another 35 hectares, 80 odd acre of forage maize grown under biodegradable film. And uh, a week ago, the day was the 4th of June, and I have regularly put on social media my welly boot at knee, at the top of my welly boot on the 4th of June. But the old saying is knee high by the 4th, 4th of July, you'll get a crop. But I can regularly achieve roughly knee high by the 4th of June. This year, it was struggling maybe about a couple of inches lower this year, but that's given the, the type of season we've had. So in a nutshell, that kind of sums up Crichton, uh, uh, Robert. Moving on to Barony. Aye, Barony is a, is a changed place. It used to have a, a milking robot, but I, I, I actually sold that last year because it only milked 50 cows and uh, didn't do anything apart from it was tired and cost me a lot of money. So uh, we sold that and integrated the robot cows into the main herd. And now we've actually got a milking herd there of 210 cows going through the parlour twice daily. I'll come on to mil milking intervals in a minute, eh, Robert Light, but uh, that uh, explains, so really trying to rationalise things at Barney. Barney now is just a milking unit and, uh, and a breeding unit. Obviously, we're serving cows there, but when we dry off, they get transported over to Crichton. And every time we bring a batch of dry cows to Crichton, we take a batch of uh, fresh calf cows back to Barony and, and trying to focus so and minimise Barony's challenges. It's very much milking milking only, if that makes sense. And here the day uh, where we are and it's sort of getting close to mid-June, those cows are due destined to go out next week onto grass and they'll follow the same regime as Acrehead, grazing from about 10 o'clock in the morning till about three in the afternoon then coming back in onto TMR and housed overnight. And in addition, I said I touched about the, the sheep enterprise, 550 ewes. Uh, predominantly, uh, there's 500 uh, mules, uh, Scotch mule ewes there. And uh, we've so far off of them, here we are uh, again mid-June, we've sold uh, 360 fat lambs already off there. Uh, another further 200 have actually moved off the farm. They're away to a trial uh, that we're working with our fellows in, in research. 
In addition to that, I've got 50 Dorset you uh, gimmers at the moment that are just finished off being served due to lamb in September. This is a new enterprise that we've started to look at lambing sheep at different times of the year to give the students that experience, but more importantly, look at can we service the markets that are now asking for fresh lamb uh, all the year round. So that kind of sums up barony and, and, and growing a range of grass out there, over 300 acres first cut. Uh, and uh, 120 hectares that is and then fully uh, we've got just trying to remember now there's 35 and then another thing aye there's about 60 hectares of cereals between winter cereals and spring cereals and these are winter wheats and spring wheats that are all destined for making whole crop cereal silage so the diet, or the ration predominantly consists of barony grass silage, cereal silage where it at, uh, at Crichton we do add maize is that our best way of summing that yep. up? Uh, no, I, th- I think it's excellent. And I think it brings up another point, which is, so your job and, and your team have more than, you know, it's uh, you run a pretty tight farming operation, but you've also got to deal with it. It's an exciting opportunity and I suppose a challenge as well of working alongside researchers and working alongside students and, and providing uh, the resources for students as well. And it's exciting, I think, to see the likes of um, the, the Dorsets coming in and, and lambing out of season to allow students to actually lamb without being in the um, in the heat of battle, if that makes sense. You know, you're not going yeah, to yeah, yeah. Um, some thousand yows in a shed somewhere and, and seeing it full bung you get a starter for 10 before that so yeah. I think it's really quite exciting to see that happening but does it bring a lot of challenges or are you can you get on and farm f- fairly normally uh, those of you who do know me uh, fairly <laughs> straight talking most of the time yes can be challenging with all the other uh, did I say uh, challenges thrown at us from various colleagues but we're all here to work together but first and foremost I'm a farmer and always will be uh, the, the farm comes first, the cows always come first, they're closest to my heart but we need to look after animals but we've, we have these commitments and you mentioned researchers uh, yes I've worked alongside research team for a long time and aim to supply what they need and, and, and obviously just in the last two years okay they've been challenging years due to the pandemic situation students maybe not there as much but welcome students and encourage students and something i'm very passionate about too is getting the next generation of people onto into farming and that is one of the, a huge huge thing across the, the across the whole of scotland uh, where are we going to get our labor pool from where are we going to how do we encourage enthuse and and it's only by showing them great uh, and, and, and best practice methods and I'm trying to endeavour that and something different to make them think and, and, and where I say there is a future in farming because we need to produce food for the nation. Is that a fair way of trying to sum that I one up? It, yeah, it's a, a very positive message and it's an obvious message that we don't, I don't think we say that often enough, you know, that the, the one thing that we all do today that we we, we must do today is, is eat. And and that's we we of course there's a future for farming and and I think too often we talk it down and not often enough enough we talk it up and particularly to that young generation you know we're always telling people how they would be better to go and get a proper job or go and get a you know there's more money in this or that but actually you know as far as an an honest 
a you know an honest hard-working living you won't beat agriculture you know there's there's big big advantages to getting involved and i think that's we really should shout it from the rooftops because as you see hugh the biggest the biggest challenge i think for farming is who is going to be farming in 20 years time where's the labor coming from and and who you know we see there's big changes happening particularly in the dairy industry things uh, becoming a lot more you know we're heading to industrial-sized units, a thousand cow dairy, thousand cow plus dairies, and and no bad thing. But there's still a role for that family farm model as well. Um, and there's, there's certainly, a, as I say, I, I can't, I don't think we can see it enough that there's a, a bright future and a lot of opportunities for people out there. Yeah, I would agree wholeheartedly with all of that, Robert. But we, as the as the industry, did uh, I say? leaders at the moment, we've going to have to make this and mould this against our competitors in other industries because uh, society has changed. Pandemic has brought a lot of things out now, but gone are the days when uh, and, and a lot of family farms and it's no, it's a passion, they love it, they don't mind working seven days a week, but trying to get somebody to, 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 to work all the hours that uh, you can is not always so. We've, if you're going to be employing staff, you've got to respect that they want a life out with, and we and and we have to embrace that and, and encourage that and work with people. And it's back to this teamwork. And and to be honest, uh, I had a fairly important visitor last week at Crichton, one of the very first we've had, obviously because we're easing hopefully nervously out of lockdown now and stuff like that. Like, but the the, the comment was made to me. But the number of females we have working here within the South and West teams on the farm. And that to me is, I'm, I'm proud to say that, but these young ladies that are wanting to work, they're smiling, they're happy. and that they are, But that's, we need to embrace all aspects of, of the gender there, you know what I'm saying, onto farms and there. But encourage them. And I've got, a, I've worked hard at this and it's not easy. It doesn't come by magic. But to get a, a mixture of experience and youth and try and pass on the skills to the next generation so that we can leave it in good hands, if you know what I'm saying, for that, that there to grow. But everybody has to follow that model, and not everybody are, 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 are guilty of that. And little wonder you see certain people uh, always looking for staff, that, and you must question what, what what are the reasons behind that, if you know what I'm saying, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think there was a you, – you brought up quite a good point there, Hugh, about, you know, incentivizing staff and, and upskilling staff – how so your model at the moment with calving everything at Crichton and then hauling back to Barron is obviously a very a neat model and certainly makes use of the the resources you've got. But how do you manage that? You know, obviously the a young dairy team how do you how do you get the Barony team to be skilled at calving cows as well as the Crichton? Because you know it's a it's a life skill and something that they're going to yeah, need yeah, yeah. in the future. Well, we don't, it's somewhere down the line, I am probably think rotation is going to be, you've got to give everybody a taste of what we're, because gone are the days, that's my job, oh, that's no, I'm not doing, that's not my job. I try and upscale and, and have the many talents, and that helps, like any team, uh, and if we put it back to a, a, a team of 11 on a football pitch or a team of 15 on a rugby pitch, uh, if you know what I'm saying, you can't always just play in the one position because if some if a man goes down, you need to be able to go and fill that or, or the woman goes down because there's many other females playing these sports now. You've got to be able to play in different positions. And that, to me, it, it makes it makes your job more 
interesting, but you understand what others are doing. If you understand what I'm saying, no, you're not wrapped in your own little bubble. And I think that's key in all of this, Robert, like to make that. But again, give people, empower them, let them make decisions and don't come running. I, I blame, and, and thankfully, I didn't even switched it off actually, but it must have known I was on my Euro. But the mobile phone is a fantastic tool, but at times it can be too easily into, or a better phone, Hugh, or a better phone, Pete, who's my, Peter's my head manager and he's been with me for about 35 years now. You know, phone them to make the decision, but you have to encourage them to make their own calls in life, like, you know, and, and but if they make the right call, praise them. And if they've made the wrong call or made the wrong decision, well, we've all made mistakes in life, but but don't shout and ball at them and say, well, look, I would have done that differently and, and try and point them in the right direction. It's how you manage people, Robert. And that's what I think brings a, dare I say it, a, a fairly strong team, if you know what I'm saying, like, you know, and, and making it work. Yeah. And a, and a strong team also makes it a happy place to be. And if it's a happy place, you know, you keep, you keep staff. And yeah, um, it's and I appreciate. I mean, the staffing issue is the same across every industry, every sector of the industry, yeah. every county in the country. Yeah. The staffing issues, yeah. but those that invest time and and money and in, in people tend to be there's there's always exceptions to the rule but they tend to be the ones who are in a, a stronger position with regards to staff yeah 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 it's well we do yeah. we can't, i mean much as i'm proud to sit here the now and talk to you in this call in this call uh, there you know but i have a team of people out there but i've, I've spoke to my ones at barony by telephone this morning but i try and maybe old-fashioned try and lead from the front talk to them but more importantly listen and you know listen and if they've got an issue, tell me. I can't. I'm. I'm not a mind reader, but we need to be able to listen and 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 support, and 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 be able to say, if it's not broken, if I don't know it's broken, I can't help you fix it. If you know what I'm saying, like you know, and it's it's things like that and the basic skills. But but it making time and time is something we we've never seemed to have enough of. Like you know what I'm saying, like but you've got to make time, and that gives a better understanding. Like you know, so yeah. Mm-hmm. So I suppose also on the the staffing front, one there's been one other significant change at Crichton that was a move from three times a day to twice a day milking. Can you give us a wee bit of an indication as to why why that happened and what the you know what the reasons for that were? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, historically we've milked the Long Hill herd at, at Crichton since two thousand and to get this right now two thousand and two three times a day, never missed a beat. And then that basically in, encouraged us to milk acre head cows and then uh, subsequently uh, through different management uh, uh, lines, barony was brought on to three times a day, so three eight-hour intervals. And that was had become the accepted norm. But deep down in, inside my head when I was a, a, a lot younger, I'd always heard of people milking at 12-hour intervals and I never could actually uh, implement that due to the certain regimes that was in place. But this pandemic took hold. First lockdown came in on the 23rd of March, and uh, we had no idea what we're, what we're, what we're sailing into. And uh, it, it wasn't, and I have horrible memories of, obviously, the 2001, which was an, an, an animal uh, disease, but this was a human uh, issue, 
and was people going to fall like flies is the way the media were portraying it. And people were the thing, back to team management, people were the, I drew up a skills matrix. I can remember that at the time. How could I, in the event of this person not being available because they'd succumbed to COVID and they might not be back for how long a period, how could we cover running of the farm? And that, I could share that way so that in the event of somebody, not, if I wasn't there, if I'd succumbed to it, that people could follow that. But I felt we needed a pool of people available. And the 3X then was questioned because you do need a team of people. And I thought, why don't we now go to two times daily, but go to 12-hour intervals? And I, I, uh, I'll, I'll remember this as long as I live, actually. I sent texts to all my night milking staff. I needed to speak to them urgently. And made, some of them phoned me back literally as soon as they received the text, oh, what's wrong? And they could, I think they were fearful that they were going to lose their job. And uh, actually, it was to actually allay any fears there. I wanted them to continue in their job because I needed them as part of my support mechanism again, and knowing full well that there was a risk of people, because these are uh, people with part-time jo jobs that, that actually do the night milking or were doing the night milking when we were 3X. But no, I wanted to keep them on board. So we then made a sudden change from basically 4 a.m. start to to, to uh, and then 12 midday and then 8 o'clock at night, which is 3, 8 hours. We went to a 6 a.m. start, cups on, and a 6 p.m. cups on. So, and that allowed the, the night staff to still do whatever they did during the day because some of them have other roles that fulfill. But it made life easier for my staff and allowed them to do more things there. But it allowed me to have a, it reduced the demand on the labour in the event of something catastrophically happening due to COVID and, and such like. Touch wood and thankfully we only lost one member of staff who unfortunately had to go on a shielding and he was off for best part of nearly uh, 16 weeks and uh, but we coped but the biggest thing in all of this the people have re re did I say really uh, embraced all of that there and, and now enjoy the more time to do stock related tasks that probably were done in a rush because they knew there was a clock ticking to get back for the next milking if you know what I'm saying Robert and 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 uh, but but that's the people aspect. But the biggest thing of the law is the cows. And regular comments from everybody I've had on Crichton and, and, and legitimately had on Crichton during during different periods of this lockdown that we've obviously had to adhere to to the social distance and masks and everything else, how relaxed our cows were and lying content and, and not always being continually moved to milk you know, back and forth with milking parlours and stuff like that. And actually, yields have not suffered as much as we would have, had anticipated. And if anything else, our milk solids has, has, has went up. That's partially due to dietary changes and stuff like that. But but far more relaxed. And, and to be honest, uh, thankfully, we have a, a system on all our cows across the, the three sites uh, with, with a data log around the leg. Um, I'll, I'll mention the company, it doesn't matter, but it's a cow alert system. But that also, apart from doing heat detection, measures line time. And when we went to, to, to twice daily uh, milking, we'd also, at a period, we just actually put, installed new mattresses for the cows to lie on. Our line time shot up 
approximately by about two hours per cow. Now, that is that has been phenomenal to see cows lying content, if that makes sense, like, you know. Yeah, the three times a day thing um, certainly fits in a lot of farms. A lot of people will swear by it, but it's a thing that, you know, there's, we were forced to scrutinise that and forced to, to challenge it. And, you know, the, the end result sounds, you know, it's, it's all positive. And the, I think the issue on the three times a day job, it's not the first, the first cows in the parlour. We know that they're usually the, you know, there's a fairly common theme with who's in the parlour first and also who comes in last. And th- those that come in last have got the longest standing time. They've spent, you know, three milkings have spent, a lot of time you know, on the feet. Yep, yep, in yep. the collecting yard doing yep, nothing and yep, yep. it's little wonder that t- knocking out one milk and you've actually got more lying time and uh, and that's that's when milk's produced yep. you know when the cow's relaxed and um, it's, it's nice to hear I think that we've got a a positive story that's that's also a nice it's a nice welfare story as well it's cattle are in a better place and uh, has fertility improved with it fertility is 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 where it is right it could always do better don't get me wrong robert like we're no uh-huh. uh, we're n- nothing's perfect but we're all we're all on a journey and we're all striving to make to to, to there but I, I i would say we're certainly heading in the right direction but i'll tell you something else which is more important these days yes you need cows calving and i can guarantee there's cows calving all right that's for sure but but we what we it's it's the biggest or one of the biggest threats from a consumer point of view is cow's foot health and 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 I, and I don't like the word lameness because you know it's foot health if that's the case but i we rom score our cows every two months and uh, that's done by an independent. That's not done by any of the team because you could, I could say oh, my cows are all perfect, but I'd be totally uh, telling not the truth there at all. But what we did do, and at the last ROM score, we were at 9% of cows slightly lame. So that's nine out of 100. But if you think of the nearly 700 cows, you know, it's a very low score. And the strict uh, audits that I have to uh, follow from my Arla contract that we are on we need to be below 15 percent so to have but we've made major strides and that's allowing staff time to deal with cows feet if you know what i'm saying trim regularly deal with issues there but a cow needs to be fit to get around and and to whether it's to get to the feed pen feed fence whether it's to walk to the milking robot which we still have at Acrehead, I forgot to mention that, uh, or whether it's to get to the milking parlour, or even to go out to grass. It, and I've, I've horrid memories of years ago watching cows hobbling. That's no the image that we as an industry want to portray to our customers, which are obviously the consumers, which is why our milk buyers are putting pressure on us now to, to, to did I say, increase the welfare levels of how we manage livestock. Yeah, and and we know you know there's some big numbers flying about about the cost of lameness, but yes. certainly that that cow that's hobbling along a cow track yes. is not making you money. You know it, she's in a bad place, which is the most important thing is getting her welfare correct or or sorted out, get that public perception sorted out. But you know it, we need to keep in mind as well yeah. that that cow has no chance of making you any no, money. No, she's no. she's no. A total false economy. Yeah. So. On foot health, are you do you do you have a foot trimmer comes in routinely, or do you do all I, your own? Probably footwork? more than one. That's probably where we. But but again, to reach that, I'm, I'm proud to say that level at the moment. But that's probably a snapshot 
hopefully the problem is when you get to levels like that and you start broadcasting it then the next time the <laughs> <laughs> you know but that's life and you know hey we're, we're, you know yeah, you have to prepare to take the rough as it smooth but yes we do have more we have a regular contract foot trimmer coming in and he'll trim the cows that's due to dry off in that next month so basically that's like a dry off a trim just to keep them to there and also he'll at the same visit he'll come in and he'll do the cows 100 days calved so that's regular so twice a year the whole herd are trimmed at those two respective periods if that makes sense and then and then the, the I, I'm not here to sell cowley but but one of the reasons I chose it was the line time I think that's very important but it also shows you mobility scoring and, and there is a traffic light system and that there. He will lift, this is a vet technician now, who a, or vet practice employee and bring in, but he comes on a weekly visit to the, the both, all sites and he'll lift the amber cows and these are cows that have showed a deviation away from, from norm and that could be an early indication of where they are going off the norm there. So early intervention and it may not be simple just as a a, a, a small pinhole that he's trimmed and let anything away, but then he'll give he'll, he'll administer a shot of pain control, and that animal can be back on. And next, the following weeks, you could be back onto the green the green segment. And it's that early intervention. If you don't do that early enough, that pinhole or whatever leads to before you know it, it could be a solar ulcer, it could be something else, white line disease, and then it takes a long time for recovery, if you know what I'm saying, Robert. Right, so. uh, isn't it great to have such a, you know, technology making us so proactive yeah. that we can yeah. nip something in the bud yeah. and, and you know, take two days to sort something that, you know, had we left it two or three months, yes. could have run into something that was unfixable. Yes, yes, um, yes. Which, yeah, it's fantastic. Right. Um well, obviously, the other one, digital dermatitis is another issue. Uh, like any farms that keep cows inside, and, I'm be, uh, and I wouldn't be telling the, the proper story if I wasn't, but uh, probably more than two years ago now, we had a, an excellent visit, uh, and, a, and, a, and a, did I say, a, a, a lady of uh, very high repute in, 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 in dairy cow lameness, uh, Sarah, Sarah Pedersen, her name is now. She came through with a group of fairly forward-thinking dairy farmers and they used Crichton as a base. And she commented on my foot bathing regime, on the, on the poor foot bathing facilities we had. And uh, I thought they were fine. But uh, I'm always able to be challenged, as always. Anyway, uh, uh, she suggested that we should go for a longer, narrower foot bath so that uh, the cow got... Uh, basically as many steps in that solution as possible before she exited. And uh, we went and actually, I didn't just buy one, I bought four. I didn't get into trouble, but never mind. But it was a, everybody is, it was a positive because everybody's giving me praise for doing it. I went to an, uh, gosh, one of the last events I probably attended, which was the Dairy UK Day down at Telford way back in 2019 in September. I bought four of these long foot masks and they're precast concrete. And they're actually, uh, they're about four metres in length, but they come in, in, in two and a half, well, actually, it's more, it's actually near five metres length. They, they're like, they're 2.4 metres long, and you, you bolt them together and wear sealant, but it's a long concrete bath that the cow has to submerge her feet more than once to go through there. And that has had a major impact on reduction of digital dermatitis. But we bath five days a week. We do Monday to Friday. 
we try and relax a wee bit, maybe at weekends to give a wee bit less of a job to do. But that has brought the DD levels to a very acceptable level, if you know what I'm saying, right? And that came on advice from others. And you take take advice or you heed advice, it's up to you. But I did that and that one there. And and it's certainly, yes, it's it's a manual felt bath, but but it's also a a manual emptying bath, but it's got several outlets that you can, and, and it empties very quickly. And to be honest, the cows don't foul it as much as they used to do now because it used to be always in the bath, there'd be a lot of fouling and you'd probably walking through slurry or other as are. And, it, and it, it tends to work. So these are how you, it's managing feet, if you know what I'm saying, like, and it doesn't come itself, like, you know what I'm saying, like. Yeah, and that's a relatively small investment for something yes. so powerful. Yes. But what I was wondering, so as a, I'm talking as a beef and sheep farmer here rather than as a, a dairy specialist, so... Um, and certainly in the beef and sheep world, we're, we'd be more inclined to be breeding feet problems out, so culling hard for feet. Obviously, in the dairy, we're more um, there's, a, there's a big focus on on trimming and on on remedial measures for feet. How much selection pressure do you put on lameness? Oh well, back to uh, audit, audit, audit. I'm, I'm due to do another audit. In fact, I just got my, Peter, I mentioned his name earlier, herds manager, he just sent me late last night the health data. And on that, he'll record all the number of trims and, 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 and such like, but also the reasons. And I let him, he'll choose the cows. But that'll be one of his high, one of his major criteria for selecting animals for going out of the, out of the business. I call them retirement cows, but unfortunately it's a, uh, we know where they're going. They're going to the food chain, if you know what I'm saying. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, but uh, uh, we have to. And, and yes, the dairy industry, rightly, wrongly, you're, you mentioned area beef beef specialist and interest in beef, right? You know, but the dairy industry focused for too long on one thing only, and that was milk, and, and forgot about the other traits. But now the, 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 the indices that's coming through now about food health, when you're selecting for breeding, we are starting to look at all the welfare traits and that is going to make a healthier herd in time. It's not an overnight silver bullet to fix it, Robert. Like, but, you know, we we have to be selective in where we're going, if you know what I'm saying, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and constantly sorting. Yes. You know, we, um, yes, there's a need for a constant foot trimming or regular foot trimming in a herd, but getting those problem cows out the door yep. and stopping breeding heifers from them. And I suppose that's the other thing is, um, you know, now we've got sex semen, we can be more targeted in where we're breeding our replacements to. But where there's a, a murmuring lameness issue, you know, perhaps you don't breed her um, or, you, or you breed her to beef pool and, yes. and you know, yes. breed yes. her out the system. Yep, yep. Um, I, yeah, no, 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 you're, you're 100%. And funny, this this conversation, I hope it's a conversation now, I don't know what we're going to call it like, but, but uh, uh, Robert, it's very timeless because yesterday afternoon I sat down with three of my uh, uh, team members along with one of the practice vets and we were looking at genomic, we genomically tested uh, a large number of non-Langhill cows at the moment. We're getting ready to do that, but we're preparing other cows. But these were actually uh, calves from three months to, to, to eight months. We, we genomically uh, notched it, took an ear notch, and that was sent away. And we've now got a ranking back on on, on, on the information from that that uh, a tissue sample. And, and to be honest, looking at the bigger picture, not on just on production, but actually on health traits that's been measured across. 
and and now we're looking at now can we target the top animals and one of the indices are it's an American terminology it's called dairy wellness profit but it doesn't all doesn't also factor in in milk or or milk constituents it's looking at all the other health traits whether that's be feet or mastitis and, and things like that which are all aspects we should be considering but now we're now looking they are matching that up and to try and fast breed in the right type of cow and as you said there quite clearly if you can identify the poorer end let's show them the exit if you know gradually if that's the case or put them to a beef bull and uh, unfortunately well if it's if it's going for meat production it's only got a short life anyway but as in 18 months or something like that like before it's it, it, it it's into the red meat sector if you know what i'm saying like uh, robert right so so major strides going forward in this industry and 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 i'd like to think and, and i'll bit a tongue-in-cheek here but the dairy industry the dairy sector is probably ahead of the beef sector but but these are what we do today you guys will do tomorrow yeah and it's always been the case you know the the dairy sector where management's a a daily routine rather than a you know infrequent handling with with beef cattle and also the also partly tongue-in-cheek but definitely true you know that from a cash flow perspective dairy dairy, there's there's more money a whether we're making more money or not, it's a different question, but there's, there's more cash flow, there's more uh, scope to invest in, in technologies like this at the start. And hopefully you guys make this stuff cheaper and then when, when it gets cheap, the beef guys can take advantage of it too. So, <laughs> oh, but, um, but the beef boys have had a reasonably good a good run recently, like, although it's a wee dip yeah. now, like, you know, but it's but yeah. it's probably where the market should be, if you know what I'm saying. But unfortunately, markets, uh, market forces dictate anyway, if you know what I'm saying, like, and we're, we're, yeah. we're left for that. Like, you know what I'm saying? I but, think that the thing again we've, we're speaking about you know encouraging people into the industry and things and one of the, the key areas and, and nobody I don't know a single farmer that would want COVID to continue you know it's been a disastrous time for, for everyone but from a farming perspective you know we've had a we were in a pretty dark place prior to COVID yes. COVID's been a huge economic shock it's changed you know, it's reset the reset the uh, priorities in the in the economy and, and certainly in the in the consumer and I think you know we're in a position that we're we're needed we're, we're wanted and, and as you see the beef job's been fine the lamb job's been great the dairy job's working away fine you know we're, we're all with the exception of pigs yes you know all the um, livestock uh, sectors are actually performing pretty well what what happens going forward you know who knows as we've spoke about we've spoken about we, we don't have a crystal ball no, but no. the arable job is interesting because it looks like it's going to have a pretty good year as well which maybe doesn't bode that particularly well for us uh, for winter feed costs some, certainly summer feed costs are going to be high but I think we would all rather get a good reward for what we're producing with slightly higher costs yes. than low costs and low sale prices. Yep. Uh, De- definitely, yeah. I agree 100%, 100% what you've just said there, Robert. Like, because yes, I crystal ball, yes, you can be smart and, and think you're smart by forward buying it. You think it's the right price and you have no idea at the end of the day because it is a gamble and life's a gamble. But uh, uh, as long as we can keep our animals fit and healthy and get a reasonable reward, then that's justification for getting out of your bed in the morning and say, I'm proud to be a, a farmer and producing high quality food for 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 the consumer. And you're right, the, the consumers of today have had to waken up due to pandemic situation that that the food that's produced within our own shores is, is uh, you know, 
is it meets a certain standard better than what you'd probably find elsewhere like so yeah yeah no it's uh, exciting times anyway i would say they so are interesting yeah, times yeah, yeah, yeah. um now we could definitely talk all day um we could, or we could have a really good go at it i'm <laughs> conscious of everyone's time not not least yours you so i would just at this stage take this opportunity to thank you very much for your time today uh, and hopefully this podcast is of of a uh, some use i've certainly thoroughly enjoyed it and i'm, I'm sure uh, those that are listening will do too what i suppose i would i would say as a part, parting shot would be you know once as you mentioned hugh that we're heading in the right direction uh, cautiously heading out of lockdown and once once we're available you know the doors are open at Crichton and Barony, or once the doors are, are, are allowed to be open, we're, we're, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn, Hugh, we're keen to see people down there and would encourage anyone to come along. Uh, in response to that, uh, uh, Robert, definitely, yes, as, as, as relaxation comes on, I would like to show there is positive things happening in the south and west here. Uh, I've hopefully spoke quite passionately about what's going on at Crichton at the moment with, with calving all the cows and stuff there. But one of the big big challenges that lies ahead for me and others is that we are uh, going to be investing heavily on the Barony site to create a new dairy complex to house this 650 cows. How we harvest the milk is another debate for another day. But I, I think there's a lot of things I want to welcome the, uh, all farmers and, and not, not, not just predominantly dairy farmers but onto the site because dialogue constructive dialogue with one another is fantastic like you know and, and, and we need that and I've missed out on that sorely like everybody else has and long for next week's the Highland show in uh, the calendar date there's a, there is a showcase but gosh I would love to be there to talk to my fellow farmers at that like you know what I'm saying but Hopefully, we'll, there's another year and we'll, we'll, we'll get back to some as near normal as possible, like, definitely. Surely. Perfect. Thank you very much, Hugh. You're welcome, Robert. And thanks again. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Cheers.